1: Hello, and welcome back to First Act, a podcast from Koshy's Business Builders. I'm Sess Busby, and in case it's your first time listening to First Act, it's a podcast where we chat with small business owners, CEOs, and thought leaders to find out what makes them tick, their life experiences, and the journey that they've taken on the path to success. Now, usually I'm joined by my partner in crime, Adam Bupp, but unfortunately he's out of commission this week, so I'll be flying solo but I look forward to having him back with me in the next week or so. Now, today's guest is an absolute eco-warrior. Daniel Flynn is the Managing Director and Co-Founder of Thank You. In a world where brands often pay lip service to social impact, Thank You is the real deal. Now, since launching Thank You in 2008, the brand has grown from selling a single product to over 50 lines that are available in supermarkets all over Australia. Now, the ethos of Thank You is simple. It's all about ending poverty and I'm so glad to have Daniel on the show with me today to have a chat about his journey as an entrepreneur. Welcome.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on the show.
1: Now, we always start our chats with our first act, Icebreaker. It's just a little silly question to kind of relax everyone. Uh, your icebreaker for today is, if you were a fragrance, what would you be? <laughs> oh,
0: if <that> I was a <laughs> fragrance, what an icebreaker. Um... I mean, it's hard because we spend a lot of our time at Thank You thinking about fragrance, and so uh, I, I go to probably what we have in our range, and I think that uh, whilst I don't love the name Minton Spring Flowers um, because <laughs> it is, it just sounds a bit you know flowery, but actually it's got this kind of kick to it. So it's actually it, it divides a little bit of, of people because it, it's you know it has this quite intense. Feeling, but you'll feel very fresh afterwards. And and maybe there's a part of me that's kind of happy to cut through the noise. And and you know that might be awesome for some people. Maybe not everyone loves it, but it's 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 me happy to happy to cut through.
1: <laughs> that's an excellent answer. I think I might be something kind of citrusy, so sometimes sweet, sometimes a bit acidic. <laughs> not to everyone's cup yeah, of tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now let's chat about your journey. Did you come from a, a philanthropic family? Were you like very aware of poverty and social injustice growing up?
0: Look, I I would say my parents were generous and definitely had a view of, you know, our world is broken and you can help contribute to fixing it. So I, I think, you know, mum and dad, you know, I certainly didn't come from any well-known philanthropic family, if that makes sense. I mean, I I just say my parents with the little they had often would think about giving. You know, I remember growing up, we had sponsor children, I think on the fridge when I was in my teenage years, I had with a few friends sponsored a child, which I think felt to me like a pretty good effort for your teenage years and and maybe a bit of a tick of a box, a big box. And uh, yeah, I think that was my, my background coming into this.
1: Would that be one of your earliest memories of kind of giving back? Having a, like a, was it like a world vision child yeah. or something like that?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. And I would say that that is my, probably one of my earliest memories of it. And we're a long way from that today. But it, it it's amazing how these small influences when you're young
1: hmm.
0: can, can have an influence on you.
1: So were you always like, was it always the plan to be in a business that was going to make a difference? Were you always wanting to be part of the change? Because you were, you were pretty young when you started. Thank you.
0: Yeah, look, look, it's an interesting question because, I mean, in short, no, I did not plan to do what is happening right now. It, it is the last over a decade now, 14 years. This wasn't in my plan, but the idea of starting a business, being very successful in that business, and then ultimately from that position of success, giving and making a difference, that I, I would say that was a you know loosely originally the plan you know and so yes helping the world but probably filtered a little bit through you know looking after yourself first and setting up everything and and then giving giving what's left and i mean this journey has been the literal opposite of that yeah so yeah no not quite the plan i i definitely planned on the entrepreneur bit not so much the social part of entrepreneur
1: so, what was the aha moment then? What was the the impetus for starting? Thank
0: you. Look, there was there's one moment that I, I reference often because it was so memorable. I think there are many more moments so that ultimately led to, you know, not just starting Thank You but sticking at the journey. Um, but one of those sort of genesis moments was uh, when I was doing some research for a university assignment, and I came across stories of kids who didn't have access to clean water. And obviously, I know poverty is a thing, but hearing their personal experience of losing brothers and sisters to waterborne disease, it definitely moved me. And if I'm honest, it made me feel very uncomfortable because the thought was, if that was my story, then my sisters, Jess and Mel, well, they would have died. And it would have been because the water I got them killed them. And that isn't my story. I'm 19 years old. I'm in uni. I've got a whole bunch of big dreams in business. But the fact that it's other young people's story in our world, it it moved me. And then at the same time, I saw some other numbers. And so in 2008, we had 900 million people in our world who didn't have access to clean water. But that number was compared against the bottled water industry, which at the time was $50 billion. And today has grown to over 350 billion and i think there's a part of me that that statistic made extreme poverty even more uncomfortable because i'd never had like access to clean to clean water but i had definitely bought bottled water before and so i was part of that other statistic and and that was um it was really challenging and then there's a part of me that i feel like i saw something in Literally, those two extremes that I couldn't unsee is the best way to describe it. And it was an idea of, well, imagine if one served the other. Mm. Could that silly product, which is really the culmination of all of our kind of consumer addiction to convenience, imagine if that could end that? You know, if if a product as silly and useless as bottled water could help end a water crisis, that was the kind of genesis idea. And very quickly. It was, it was like, well, hang on, imagine if every product did. Like, and, and, then, and then that's when, as a young 19-year-old and with some amazing co-founders, Justine, who we're who, who now married, um, Jared, some early team as well, we, we just imagined a thank you world, a world mm-hmm. where a brand could bring multiple products to market and empower us as consumers to do what we do, which is consume product but do it to right or wrong, not just water, but all the inequalities around extreme poverty. And so that was, I suppose, the genesis moment, but then this unfolding revelation caught up in being moved, being uncomfortable, but then also having a vision and seeing this potential and thinking like, wow, you can imagine if we could get there.
1: Mm. So you have this great vision, but then what about the money to back the vision? I mean, how do you get a, a business like thank you off the ground when you're purpose driven and, and you're you're saying any profits I make, I'm gonna invest hundred percent of these profits into ending poverty. Was it a, a hard, hard ask to yeah. get people behind it, it you? Was,
0: look, it was and it almost still is, but you know, let's not, you know, focus too much on on the hard the hard realities of this model. But the the early days was like it was this sort of lofty idea that I think people looked at thinking, well, you're going to need investors. You're going to need the traditional kind of path to business. And there was a part of us that didn't love that. And I think it's because, and I don't want to be critical of all the business in all the world, but in 2008, we looked around going, this idea is so simple. It should exist. Why doesn't exist? And to go the normal path of scaling a company, I'm not sure if that's going to equal the results that need to be equaled in our view. And so early on there was this, and maybe it came from this feeling of injustice, like, okay, there's a $50 billion bottled water industry, but we've left this issue untapped of people not having access to the basic human right of water. And, And so out of that, maybe justice, maybe purity of the idea. We wanted this to be all for the mission. And that's why we set out to... You know, say no shareholders, no investors and founders don't get equity, um, which at the time seemed pretty easy. And as time has gone on, well, we already made the decision in 2008. So it's not, not a wrestle, but there are some days that you think like, wow, yeah, there's a few hard parts of this model. But for the mission and why it exists, it's worth it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, absolutely worth it. Do, do you think in some ways, because you didn't also have much business experience, that that naivety really played in your favour, that you weren't afraid to go the hard yards or ask the hard questions?
0: You definitely did. Um, I mean, our early stories are almost comical. You know, when I get a chance to share it. And sometimes my favourite forums, I mean, I love sharing to kids and students, some of my favorite rooms have ended up being like the really prestigious end of business, you know, and and I, honestly, I'm like, how, how, how do we even get in the room? But just watching people belly laugh at the simplicity of our early questions and the naivety of our approach of literally googling how to start a water company of um (laughs) having no money but somehow having the boldness to pitch to the biggest beverage distributor in the country who who literally on the spot takes an order for fifty thousand bottles and then asks us how quick we can deliver and we wanted to look professional and so we said three weeks (laughs) and it turns out it turns out that was ridiculous you know and our our, our humble factory that actually the owner never thought would get a deal with this particular company we were pitching to is, like, I just don't think you'll get it. They're too big. He couldn't believe the size of the order and he couldn't believe they wanted it in three weeks. And we kind of confessed that we, we, we said three weeks and, you know, he wasn't too happy with that. So so our early days are just wild. And, you know, we, we, we are fighting to keep that naivety, that childlike thinking. Some people may look at that and think that just sounds too cliche, but business and scale has a great way of just punching the life out of you and the fun out of you and the curiosity out. And, you know, risk management, which is ultimately the business that we're all in as ideas scale, risk management has a funny way of, um, ah, You know, if you're not careful, it ends up becoming the um, you know, the great blanket that crushes innovation (laughs) and and ideas. So it's a wrestle. You're the dream (laughs) crusher. And and it's not. Good risk management should empower a dream and should help it become a reality. But um, you know, it is it's a it's a massive tension. And so the early days we had, there are parts of that we 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 try and keep and you know, and protect.
1: So you mentioned as well that you um, went to a big distributor and they were like, yep, we want it now. But while we're talking about the big side of things, I mean bottled water was and is a massive industry in Australia. So Mm. when you're going up against those brands, how did you tackle competing with some of what are arguably the biggest brands in the world?
0: Look, I mean, thankfully we, we attacked it not knowing how good they were and how big they are. And
1: how how tough it would be.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So luckily we didn't know what we're getting ourselves into. I think if some if we really knew, you know, who knows where we'd be. But we 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 entered with this absolute belief that if there was a product in the market that existed all for a mission, like helping people, versus one that existed all for a shareholder, and that that company may do some social good as well, which is great, but ultimately existed for the the benefit of that shareholder, we thought people would choose this one. So that was our premise. And, you know, when, I, when we asked our friends about it, they said yes. And, you know, my mum and others would be like, yeah, well, of course, you know. Uh, and so we just assumed, well, the people we've talked to think this would work, so it should work. And I don't think we were wrong about that hypothesis of the consumer sentiment. The challenge was there are some gates that are kept pretty well to entering kind of the big end of town Mm. and they're well-guarded and they're, I mean, it's a big game to play and that's where a lot of our first few years the attention goes and the pressure builds.
1: Do you think um, the reason that Thank You resonated with consumers so well was that ethos that, you know, if I can make a choice between virtually two identical products but one's going to do some good and the other's maybe not going to do some good or is maybe just going to line someone's pockets with profits. I should choose the one that's doing good. Do you think we all kind of want to be doing good?
0: Yeah, I think we do. I think our our belief is that deep down, everyone wants to do good. And then the question is, so if everyone did want to do good, what are the barriers? And our job at Thank You is basically removal of barriers. And so and there are real barriers, particularly if you're in consumer product, like well, what's the product quality like? Because as much as we all want to do good, when you go to buy a product, it has to fulfill a need, a want, a desire. And whilst we don't talk a lot about that, uh, I mean, there's a great study out that says sixty nine percent of consumers say that sustainability is what drives their purchase mm. uh, and, and decision making the the reality check, post purchase and the deep dive analysis is actually only nine percent of consumers made the decision based on sustainability. And it's quite confronting because I think what yeah. Yeah. So that's a little that's a little it's a it's real that. And and we've we've absolutely seen that. People say they want to do good and and I'm I'm one of those people. But then the decision to actually do it is is big because in our world of product, the product quality has to be we would say better. Some would argue, surely it could be as good. But I think there's a bit of a challenge that when you premise that your brand exists for good and to help people, whether whether people say it or not, there is this underlying question of, hmm, wonder if the quality is any good? Wonder if they compromise on quality, right? And so you might be compared to another brand that's just all for making a great product and getting it to you. And so how does a brand that, does all this other stuff too. How does that really compare? So at times we would argue we have to, you know, be more innovative or up the quality or be prepared to take a lower margin, higher quality product to overcome that. Mm. Then mm. there's the price, the price and the value proposition. And consumers have always been price sensitive. Uh, we launched in, in in 2008 during the GFC. It's not a great time to launch a brand. Um, and then we're in the economic times that we're in now. Um, and so value and price is such a big factor. So so anyway, all that to say our job is trying to remove barriers. And we think if we can remove enough barriers, quality, value, design, aesthetic, uh, fragrance, back to your early icebreaker, if we can get that right, then I think a consumer would love it. Because it's almost like, well, I'd, I'd buy it anyway, because it's a really good product. But the fact that it's all for the mission, I am... I'm gonna buy two, give one to a friend, or I'm gonna I'm gonna commit to buying this, you know, and and that is, that's the sweet spot. That's what we spend our time chasing.
1: That sustainable side of things. There came a time in Thank You Waters' life where you had to make the decision you were no longer be producing the product because of your own sustainable impact. How um, hard was that?
0: I mean, it was a wrestle. It was a big wrestle because when we started, we thought bottled water is a silly product without a doubt. It's 2008. It shouldn't exist, but it's still the fastest growing category. And arguably, right? not that you know anyone's going to win any awards for going into bat for bottled water, but arguably <laughs> it's still a healthy, it's a healthy choice compared to all the soft drinks and all the alcohols and all the other options that don't get a whole lot of focus, even a lot of juices. It's still a healthy choice and so we're like, well, the issue isn't so much the beverage itself. Uh, people should drink more water, but it certainly is the packaging. And I think hopefully um, and naively maybe we thought there'll be a pretty good solution. It'll be an easy switch. And early on, very early on, we're looking at biodegradability and a heap of really great solutions. The uncomfortable truth was over time, the deeper you dig, and if you're a purpose-led brand, you're not looking for greenwashing, you're not looking for um, some sort of tick, you're looking for a purpose-led decision. And the deeper we looked, we're like, what well, these ideas are all, they're all, they sound good. And actually in a room of like, I don't know, a room of people, 98% of the room would clap and go, what a great solution you've come up with but the 2% of people that know about sustainability, know about the full life cycle analysis, they'd be at the back going like you know, you know this isn't the better call. You know, you <laughs> and, and so we would sit back here, we sit sit back going like, "What? Well, okay." And then we arrived at like, "Oh, the best thing we could do is stop producing it." Wow. All right. That's big, particularly cuz it's a genesis product and there are literally tens of millions of bottles going into markets so even from a brand visibility perspective it was very valuable and we wrestled it we wrestled the decision we launched into new zealand we didn't take water so we launched uh personal care and that gave us a great sense of confidence of okay cool thank you can work without the water and then we came back to australia and we we made a public announcement of removing it after a lot of planning on how to do that internally and it was an interesting day because we left profit on the table you know we left retailers were like wow, you're mm, pulling out, like, yeah. you know, it's, it's a whole business unit where you're just not going to get millions of dollars from anymore and that that was an interesting journey and we have great hopes and dreams for the future of the water category and, you know, we, we're starting to hint that there's something coming there but um, it has been a long journey to to get it right and then um, bring something to market that we think is ultimately where we want to head as a brand. <laughs> Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices.
1: Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Okay, we're back with Daniel Flynn, the co-founder of Thank You. And I'd like to maybe take a little dive into your book that you released. I think it was like 2015, 2016, something like that. Chapter One, outlining the first mm. seven years of the brand. First thing I want to dive into is when you published it, you did something that was pretty unheard of. You published it at a price point that was pay what you can. And I'm sure loads of Mm -hmm. people were going, what the heck? What are you thinking, Daniel? But it actually worked. (laughs) You managed to raise all the money that you wanted to. So what was the strategy behind that? And, And the second thing I'm wondering is why was it time for you to put that thank you journey down on paper for people to read?
0: I think we'd always been taken back by the number of people that would hear us present a thank you story and say, wow, what an incredible story it is. And people would comment on how they found a keynote or a presentation really helpful for their own journey. And so that was an interesting insight. We then loved the idea of consumers coming on the journey and contributing. So people contribute through their purchase. But this idea formed that was wild, which was so usually a book is written, or at least in my head it's written 20, 30 years in, once you're at this like ultimate level of success, and however you define that, it's global or it's very well-known, then you write the book, and based on you know brand awareness, people buy that book. So that's sort of the model. But this idea entered of a book that could be written over the decades, and so maybe one day when the book probably should have originally been written, it's already written, but it was written chapter by chapter and it was read by the the consumer, but then all the profit. So the profit from chapter one would fund chapter two and so on. And that idea is, um, I mean, the more we chewed on it, it was like, oh, this is really cool. We haven't seen it done before. We believe the story is really strong. We believe it's helpful for people in their own journey and their own things they want to change and ideas they want to chase. So, We've always got this idea of thank a thank you of generosity. How can we give more than maybe people give? And and so this was all kind of wound up in this thought of the book. And we also had a funding problem. Like, how how do we get
1: more money to do stuff where yeah Yeah. all the profits (laughs) go to go to helping people. So,
0: (laughs) So the book was this sort of crowdfunding slash deeper connection with consumers concept and and we launched the book and yeah we launched it to pay what you want price which is really an invitation to say can contribute to whatever level you feel comfortable we made some pretty clear goals of uh, wanting to launch into the the baby category uh, and then into New Zealand and we had set at this wild target of 1.2 million um, and for listeners context a best-selling book in Australia is, Lucky to make 50 grand. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's literally 5,000 books as a bestseller. So I I mean, we set this target of 1.2 million. Uh, Koshi, absolute legend. He ended up, he was at our, our gala launch for that. And and he, he was awesome, MC'd that thing. And and that on that night at that launch, in the first two hours, we sold $360,000 of chapter one, which yeah. was super cool. And, and then the next 28 days, We ended up hitting 1.44 million dollars, you know, which was huge. We had the most amazing stories of people who would pay a thousand or seven thousand dollars for a book, right down to kids who bought it with their pocket money. And one guy, Landon, he was twelve. He bought four copies. It was it was wild. And so, the journey was of chapter one was cool, and then that book traveled. It opened doors. The story went to more people. The Idea traveled, and yeah, that was the beginning of an adventure.
1: So, have you had a lot of feedback from readers about how it's maybe, I don't know, helped them define their own purpose and act on their purpose?
0: The thing we didn't see coming with chapter one was the people who, and many came saying, Oh, I read the book and it helped me think about starting this thing or quitting this and doing this, and you know, really influence people's, I think, pretty life altering kind of decisions and paths. In fact, I just got off a call with a group that I didn't know this. Um, they're a super cool company. And they were saying how they bought Chapter One, or one of the founders bought Chapter One when it came out and it was really formative. And now they're running a super cool company. And I'm like, gosh, like, thank you. Cannot. And we, we absolutely wouldn't want to take credit for anyone else's work. But it's so cool to see how when we all share our stories vulnerably, it can be helpful to other people. And that was the idea with chapter one. We wanted a book where when you're reading it in your room, you're not sitting there feeling like, wow, these guys have so far made it and I am so far off that point. I don't know if how I'll ever get there. We wanted chapter one to be more like, oh, yeah, if you did that, I could do that. If you did that, I could do that. You know, and sort of the the idea of grow together, build together and hopefully a warts and all journey, which is certainly what the book
1: is. (laughs) So Thank You exists as a business to end extreme poverty. Now, how much of an impact do you think Thank You has had to date in the number of years that you've been running?
0: It's a great question. I mean, we've got a couple of measures. So the main one is dollars that we've raised to impact from the sale of Thank You products, hand wash, body wash, and everything in between over the years. So to date, over $17 million has been given to our network of, impact in charity partners around the world in over 33 countries. And so we have a measure on the work and the partners. And then the overall idea of ending extreme poverty is incredibly lofty. That's, whilst we talk about it at Thank You as a, a mission that we're on, in In reality, it's a mission that many people are on, and we're looking to contribute to that. And so, uh, you know, we've joined many people on the journey, and, and it is it is a mission that is reachable in our lifetime. It's one of the big, I don't know, some sort of the big misconceptions about it because the numbers are in the hundreds of millions. We think it can't change, but uh, history is showing us that we can improve that number. I would say our impact has been in part the dollars raised in the organizations we've backed, but it sounds like, too, it, it's influenced other people, other companies on their journey on giving, and and that's been really cool to hear about as well. So some of that indirect impact is encouraging. Um, yeah.
1: Now, In 2020, you launched the No Small Plan campaign as well, when we're talking about impact and kind of changing business models. And that was also helping you take Thank You Go- Global. But can you tell us about the idea behind the campaign and how well it's going? So look,
0: honestly, how everyone felt when they heard end of extreme poverty and $17 million. But what we hear when we hear those two things in, in, in a sentence is a huge gap. And whilst we don't want to diminish the work of the years, we're also acknowledging like it is a great concept here, but it has to go to scale. That 17 number has got to add a whole bunch of zeros to really make a, a dent. And, and that's our, our mission. And so we set back over the years as we compete against many of the biggest companies in the world uh, here in Australia, and our ambition is global product in global markets. And so those competitors and more will pop up everywhere. And we sat back thinking, hmm, is there another way forward here? Do we set up what we've set up in Australia? And that has taken many years. Do we do that in uh, New Zealand, which we trialed? And that was actually slower going than we thought. And we learned a lot in our New Zealand launch, which was really a replication of the Australian business in New Zealand. And it was like, wow, this is an interesting path. We learned a lot through that. We learned a lot about competition, a lot about new market expansion. And then we sat back and the pandemic sped this up because the world fell apart in many ways, supply chain fell apart. I think it was a humbling moment for what should have been for for many companies and organizations because we realized that we can't all do it on our own. We need to do it together and find partnerships and and ways forward. And so in 2020, we proposed a, a really big idea in a video. But it wasn't just a big, bold idea. There's some pretty deep thought behind it. And we'd been researching a bunch of different companies and how they'd scaled. And I'll, I'll pick a couple, Starbucks, Disney, uh, Virgin, many brands use brand licensing, uh, Kanye's brand Yeezy. I have a really interesting example where Yeezy, the shoe, which people know for the brand and the disruptive design, which it absolutely is. That is designed by Yeezy and the team at, at Yeezy, Kanye's brand. Mm-hmm. But the actual building of the shoe and the the big machine of basically delivering that shoe into store online every single day globally, that's run by Adidas. So behind the scenes, Adidas had the the license to make and distribute that shoe and, and Yeezy paid a brand licensing fee. And we spent a bunch of time diving into brand licensing and all these different forms of partnerships, we definitely believe, thank you, can't be owned by anyone, any big multinational, any individuals. So we'd sort of set that idea of like acquisition or selling, that was off the table. Brand licensing is very different though. And so we looked at that and thought, well, actually, there are a heap of companies we're competing with and there's probably 11 big ones and a heap of other smaller ones kind of the next tier down and then the next tier down after that. And we're basically going to go and try and, replicate their business in in that market. And we're going to try and go do that 150, 200 times when you think of all the, the countries out there. And then we sat back and went, what if we went a different way? What if we offer distribution and sales agreements and licenses and essentially said to people, hey, we'll make on your factory line and you get paid for that. And then if you deliver it with your truck, we're going to have to find a truck and you get paid for that. And if it's your sales team that are part of it, that you get paid for that, but at thank you, we'll make our margin. And when we looked at this entire world of brand licensing, we realized, gosh, we can make as much money as we're making now, but without kind of building every single part ourselves. And mm. that enters an even bigger idea. We think every business and every leader wants to make a difference. And we're like, well, we've got, gone all in on purpose at Thank You. And everyone's talking about purpose and everyone, many people are trying to figure it out and they're struggling with it. What if we bring the the purpose and the innovation and the idea and the brand? What if they bring some of the distribution and work that they've done over the years and together we, we flip business as usual and help make an even bigger impact? And so in 2020, no small plan, because it isn't small, was an invitation to the biggest companies in the world to say, hey, we're inviting you to help make and distribute thank you products globally. And we set out with a mission to find the right partners for thank you. And it's turned out to be our longest campaign. We are gonna eighteen months, nearly two two years in actually to it. And I think we thought it would be a very short campaign, <laughs> but it's it's led to conversations with the biggest companies in the world, and and many of them, and then many of the sort of tier twos and threes. And uh, where the story ends will I think excite and fascinate people, and definitely content for a future book called Chapter Two. <laughs> um, but. Next year and the years beyond, you will see thank you popping up in new countries because there are a bunch of great people around the world who are going, yeah, here's the part we can play. And so in part, it's an invitation to help scale thank you together whilst not compromising the mission, the ownership, and ultimately the dollars to impact.
1: Must be tricky though when you're putting those partnerships in place because... There's so many other considerations, you know, you want to make sure your sustainable goals are met, that there's not this mm-hmm. environmental impact, that I think there's a lot of companies that want to be seen as green, but as you said, there's a lot of greenwashing going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's also a lot of virtue signaling with brands just going, mm-hmm. oh, I'm doing this great thing, but are they really? So how tricky has that that partnership process been for you?
0: Yeah, very tricky, very tricky. It's... um. Yeah, I think we set out on a mission to find the right thank you partners. And so that is a values and mission alignment. And it's a, it's been a journey and it will continue to be a journey. But I think in the world there are buckets. And in one bucket you would have a group that you've, well, there's probably a group that just do not care at all. Um, and I think their time, you know, their days are probably numbered in. in
1: like the dinosaurs. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so there's that bucket and then there's the group of sort of virtue signaling, greenwashing, you know, people who I think, uh, have basically gone, oh, this is the next trend and this is the next way to engage consumers. Let's go. And then you have another bucket, which is, I think genuinely people, founders, organizations, boards that are like, no, we want our organizations and our people. To make impact and to create change. Because I think, at a human level, just break down someone's career. Do you want to spend your life spending all of your effort for just the um, personal, you know, financial gain and then for the financial gain of the institution you work for? Or is there another part where it's the Yes, institutions got to make money, and you do too. But the idea that the work you do or the work you contribute to ultimately helps reshape the world we live in—I think that's very compelling to people. And and so I, I think that there are organizations out there, and we've discovered some, and we look forward to meeting more, whose purpose is not just a conversation. It's a—it's either at the center, or it is well on its way to the center of their organization.
1: That's fantastic to hear. Uh, do you feel as though the social enterprise space has changed in the, the past decade?
0: Yeah, I think I think it has. I think there are more ideas coming forward and more brands, and I think that is super positive. You know, the it's a great saying, and I'm probably not going to get it right, but it's along the lines of the the uh, the tide. The tide rises, all ships. Anyway, I've not nailed that, but essentially <laughs> it's the idea that, like, you know, as this shift at a consumer level of expectation of, yeah, I want my products to do good and, yeah, I want the small decisions to be good and not bad. That has, I think, brought more and more people into the space. There are some really cool organizations pushing the boundaries, and, and we definitely need more of it and a lot less of the greenwash virtual signaling kind of stuff that you mentioned earlier. But yeah, it, the, the the space has changed, and that is really really good.
1: So, are there any other Aussie social enterprises that you think are really having a big impact at the moment? I guess I'd think like maybe, you know, Simon uh, Who Gives a Crap yeah. would be an example I could think of. But you're you're embedded in the space. Who else would you think?
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 no. Look, Simon's a great example, and I think what they're doing is incredible and not easy. And at a global level, up against some a lot of competition, um, not so much in the social enterprise space, a little bit, but more in just the for-profit space. Trying to, I think, look good, and I think they're just doing a great job. Um, I think the team at um, the Big Issue have been around well before, uh, yeah, uh, well before you know, you know, who gives a crap and thank you. And there's sort of some legends of the space that have been doing good for a long time, and and I think. Yeah, it's always easy easy to miss that kind of thing, but I I I also think we are struggling to see globally many social enterprises scaling to the level that we're seeing, you know, some for profit Mm -hmm. enterprises reach, and that is that's an interesting kind of conundrum because the social issues that we are all aiming to change are really complex and they require lots of support and thinking and funding. But the size of the businesses are are not there yet. And so, you know, I think there's a lot more work to be done and we've got to figure out ways to hack the space so that one day when you look at the world's most valuable companies or the world's most philanthropic companies or the world's, yeah, most profitable companies, maybe there's some names up in there that Exist for for humanity and not just for shareholder um, gain, whilst also helping humanity too, which I think is a good thing. You know, I, not 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 hating on everyone at the top. I think you know. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, if you were to mentor some of those younger purpose-led entrepreneurs who have their little startups and are wanting to scale, what would be perhaps the first piece of advice you'd give? <sighs>
0: I mean, you, you you've caught me on a tough day because when I say tough day, like where thank you's at, and I feel like this is almost every day for a long time, for years. It is like the future is so bright, exciting, so much potential, and then the day to day challenges are just so real. and And so, in the startup phase, it, it could be funding, it could be getting to market, and and essentially, as you grow, you you are swapping problems. So what becomes like, we can't get to market. Now you're in market. How do you stay in market? Or how do you fund the stock in the market? And you just, you're sort of like problem swapping, which means you've got to be pretty good at, you know, solution finding and getting better and better and better and better at that. I, I would say though, to someone entering this space is like, it is a a long game. Um, and and I would be, you know, saying to a younger self of me, like, Oof, man, you should get, you should get focused on resilience on some of the soft skills really on the inside because it's a it's an interesting journey and I, I would say pioneering or doing or starting anything is and so this would apply to anyone but in the social space there are a few factors that are a little extra a little different um you know and and you know i feel like some days you inherit the backpack of challenges that a for profit business faces and that a charity faces and you sort of you get to wear both backpacks <laughs> and, and, and you're running against people that maybe have one or none on or, or at least just one. And and so I, I would say that's where that resilience piece kicks in. That's where a deep knowing of why you're getting into this, um, and a, a really healthy relationship with that and a really good support network around you to encourage you on the mission you set out to do. You know, people around you that when they go and get stuff and you're like, I am I'm done, they're there to go, cool, but Here's why you told me you're getting into it. Here's the difference you have made so far. Are you sure? You know, like are you, <laughs> yeah. you look like, like the, just the, the the mirrors and the side mirrors, and they can help provide different perspectives for you.
1: Yeah. Do you think there's uh, there's also kind of innate challenges of the fact that you kind of you're almost in a charity space. Do you know what I mean? That so people are thinking, mm. should I buy you know my thank you personal products or should I give my money to? Red Cross or whatever, just as a random Mm. example. And
0: yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And like, where am I going to get my, the most impact for my money? And I think there's also that whole thing about with charities, there's so many hidden costs that people aren't aware of, you know, they give a dollar to a charity, but how much actually goes to a charity?
0: It's an interesting one. And I think we are more and more where we want to get to it. Thank you. And we may not have, We may not have built it all right so far and, you know, obviously we're shifting and tweaking and the good news is we get to start with a blank page in most other countries we launch in, right, and there's a lot of learnings from here in Australia. But I I think success is that at a consumer level or at a human level you don't have that question because you go, I want to give to Red Cross or I want to give to the upcoming appeal for, wildlife or oceans or homelessness or state of like climate and, and there's so many things. But in the back of your mind, without asking the question, you'll also buy thank you. Or Patagonia or who gives a crap. And and the magic is in the product's gotta be good, desirable, great value. And so it's not a it's not a one or the other. It's a both. Mm. But that's that's tricky because competition is real. And, and that's the game we're in, in the product space.
1: Mm. I think one final question for you, sir, which is what do you say to people who think that one person can't make a difference?
0: Well, I would say I know exactly how you think and how you feel. My personal experience has been seeing the other side of that. Then it turns out individuals can make a remarkable difference in the world, both in the collective small choices when combined, it's a collective huge impact. And then even individually, I think um, I think we measure wrong. I think we think if one of us can't change the whole world, then there is no point. What's the point in starting? But when you realise the impact that you can have on one other person or one other issue, one other thing at a micro level and you realise the significance of that um yeah that's when your perspective shifts and and maybe that thought you have which is a real thought one person can't make a difference you'll discover that to be wrong
1: thank you so much daniel that's all we've got time for today and for more info on thank you head to thankyou.co and thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of first act Give us a five-star review if you've been loving these chats, please. We'd love it. And be back next week for another First Act Conversation.